Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm not nearly as good a cook as you. At the end, when I take the steak off, I rush into the house. I don't even care who else eats. I just eat. I'm happy. I just love whenever, growing up, whenever Liz would take over the cooking, you'd always walk in and out of the kitchen and go, you're over-salting everything. She likes this is what it's supposed to taste like. She likes salt. I'm not a salt person. But sea salt, how does it become so incredibly necessary? It has to be on everything. Sea salt, it comes from the ocean. It's fat when you get knocked in the head. You don't want it. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser So in anticipation of rain today and rain tomorrow and rain Thursday in Washington, D.C., I used the opening last night to cook, to grill. Grilled a couple of pork chops from Butcher Box. I like their food very much. Came in, um, grilled them for 15 minutes. They were not yet quite done. Put them on for two or three more minutes. Brought them in. They were perfect. I'd cut into them. I sat down and just ate them. And, you know, Carol takes a long time to eat. It's just a tremendously long time to eat. When I say a tremendously long time to eat, I mean it's hours. <laughs> you know, you, you could drive to, you know, I don't know, to Philadelphia. That's good for your digestion. Time she's, you know, well, my digestion is not good, but I ate those pork chops quickly, <laughs> and I liked them a lot. Did a good job. Didn't have any sea salt on them. I was going to say, yeah, how much sea salt? No, I, I mean, I seasoned them. I put a little salt, a little pepper, a little of this Kinder's rub thing it's not really a rub you shake it on and then of course yeah and then i of course went to the old standby open pit open pit let it crust up and burn that i've been using for like 50 (laughs) years open pit and it was very good it was i thought it was good now do you ever thin out your barbecue sauce with a little bit of apple cider vinegar i've never done that i you know why would i do that okay do you do that next time apple cider vinegar particularly if you have a, a bit like of a like a more of a sticky sauce, which is not necessarily Kansas City uh, of the open pit right, style. Right, right, right. Uh, but yeah, the last couple of minutes, it'll, you'll get that nice little crust on it. Okay. Good depth of flavor. Do you put... What's your uh, what's your heat situation right now? Are you going Are you going indirect for to start? Um, so I have three burners, and I turn off the middle burner when I'm about to cook and turn down the side burners and use the middle burner, so I guess that would be considered indirect. Mm-hmm. I also put the open pit on... You know, at the beginning, I do it at the beginning. You don't find it burns too quickly? It might. I, I'm not that sophisticated. It might burn too quickly. I don't really like, you know, thick, sweet sauce. So if it burns out and burns in, I'm good with that. I, I judge things whether they're done on how they look. You know, and I have over 70 years of memory of how I think my food should look. Other people may not like it that way. Two, I haven't invited other people. Uh, let's let's <laughs> get care. you a digital thermometer. Just put it out there. Okay. Uh, or at least just try and give you the the sort of the poke test so you can start to feel what is, say, you know, medium or medium rare for that job. Elizabeth does that too. She pokes things. You know, I'm... Uh, you not do my, it by sight. Yeah. He just knows. Yes. I know. You know, and then I cut into it to see how it looks on the inside. Well, yeah, you got to make sure. And I, no have rest. A, I have a certain look that it should have, and if it has that look... I announce to whoever's around, it's done. And then I say to who's ever around, could you turn off the grill? Because I don't know how to turn on or off the grill. I cook. I'm a specialist. 
That's what I do. Do you know my warning to your daughter when she was out at the beach this weekend with you? No. Okay, so I just said to her, just so you know, if dad has used the grill at all in the last six months, let that thing burn off for at least 20 to 30 minutes because there is so much marinade, yeah. fat, yeah, run, grease run everywhere that you're, you are always one step away from like a fire, a fire. which we've had on an older grill. So I should, I should sort of say this about my own limitations, and I'm going to reference a conversation I had the other day with my friend Donnie Simpson. Donnie and his son have started a podcast, and Donnie wanted to talk to me about working with your son and how much fun that is and podcasts and stuff like that. And I said, basically, Michael, you know, Michael understands how it works. Michael understands the advertising. Michael understands the aim. Michael understands the overview. I said, Donnie, I, I can't do anything. All I can do is when the light comes on is start to talk. And he goes, me too. That's all I can do. I said, yes, that's what we do. We're talent. That's all we do. That's, you know, don't, don't ask me to fill up the car. No, no. The light comes on. I start to talk. I had a great conversation with his son, and I was just sitting there being like, you know what's, what's so great is as the show went from radio to podcast, I'm like, Dad still keeps his watch just in the corner of his left eye as yeah. if he's trying to do the outs before like the 4 o'clock news at the end of the hour. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah, we got to get so up for the just, I'm a creature of habit. Yeah. What's new with Tiger? Uh, with regards to what? He had a practice round yesterday with Freddie Couples. Who, who said he was... Extraordinary," said Tiger. Ready was to amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you if you're paying attention, he had a similar practice round on the Monday before the 2019 Masters, which he won. Uh, yeah, I still think this is day to day. Still want to know more about what the weather might mean. You know, just in terms of if he feels like he's got his footing. Freddie Couples is in his 60s now, I believe. Early 60s. Does that sound right? Yeah, we can check Look up Nance. Freddie Couples. Someone made this comment to me the other day. Totally true comment. Except for the color of Freddie Couples' hair, which has gone gray and white, he looks exactly the same. His body, everything about him, his clothes, his swing, exactly the same as he did 30, 35 years ago when he was the number one golfer in the world. 62. Okay, he's exactly the same. Am I right on this? Yeah, and you still are not surprised, even at that age, if you see his name at the top of the leaderboard Friday. It doesn't mean he's going yeah. to close over yeah. the weekend. Yeah. So <clears throat> we, are, we are all waiting for Tiger news. And you're probably saying, did you watch the game? I watched some of the game. I didn't watch all of the game. Chuck Culpepper will be on, and he'll tell us about the game because he watched all the game and wrote a great story about it. Great ending. He's really, he knows what he's doing. Chuck Culpepper knows what he's doing. So what I would say is, is this. Kansas is a worthy champion. Kansas was a good team all year long. Kansas was a real good team in a real good league. The Big 12 this year was actually better than the ACC this year. The seedings reflect that. The Big 12 had a one, had two ones, Kansas and Baylor. North Carolina got both of them. They had Kansas and Baylor. They had a three in Texas Tech. They probably had five or six teams in. And, and the Big 12 was a good league. So, you know, Kansas is a worthy champion. <clears throat> Bill Self is one of the best coaches in college basketball and has been for some time. This is his second championship. There are a lot of great coaches who never won any. There's a lot of great coaches in the Hall of Fame who won one. Gary Williams won one. He's in the Hall of Fame. Jim Beheim won one. He's in the Hall of Fame. Tom Izzo's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He won one. John Thompson was in the Hall of Fame. He won one. Okay, winning one is great. 
people are thrilled to win one because a lot of people did. That doesn't mean every coach who won one is great, but some great coaches have only won one. I can't think of people who've got two other than Bill Self and Danny Crum. I'm sure there are others. I'm just not thinking about it. Dean Smith had two. But I'm going to tell you that the ladder to great begins with three. Three is the separation point. That doesn't mean Dean Smith wasn't a great coach. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Three is the line of demarcation to great. Because Bobby Knight has three. Jim Calhoun has three. Roy Williams has three. Then you go up to four. Adolph Rupp has four. Mike Krzyzewski has five. And John Wooden has 10 or 12. Whatever he's got. John Wooden's got the most. That's the ladder to great. Bill Self is not on the ladder to great yet. He's one rung away from the ladder to great, I think. What do you think? Sure. Who's got two? You got, can you look this up? That's why you have these yes. phones. Uh, Jay Wright. Jay Wright. Billy Donovan. You mentioned. Yes, uh, Billy Donovan now in the pros. Uh, this is uh, before my time. Ed Jucker from Ed Jucker, Cincinnati. Uh, Phil Wilpert from uh, San, Francisco. San Francisco. Henry Iba, Iba. Yep. Oklahoma State. And these guys. That's all, yeah, all back in the, And Branch McCracken from right. Indiana. These yeah. guys are all great. They're all great. But the ladder to great, the ladder to immortality, begins at three. That's what I'm saying. Well, a lot of yes. those, the modern yes. examples with two, they, they tend to come in pretty compressed time periods versus, you know, 08 to 2022. Is that what Self did? Right, yeah. It was my senior year at Penn, I think. Okay. But Self's a really, really good coach. Self's going to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question about that. Yes. Self's got a top 10 team every single year. Yeah, and they'll be... And was involved in cheating scandals. Oh, yeah, that's You know, right. nothing happened to him, but, you know, a lot of people look at Bill Self and say, how'd he get that guy? Well, now you can pay anybody anything. <laughs> now a guy can come to your house and you can just start handing him 20s for the rest of time. <laughs> you can do that. Name, image, likeness. Yes. So cheating is... And cheating doesn't matter anymore. What you used to do doesn't matter anymore. Although for the people that literally went to jail for it, and now they see that you can do it legally, you're on the wrong side of the timeline. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Chuck Culpepper will join us, yes? That's correct. Or, and, and Richard Justice later in the show to preview the beginning of baseball. Yes. Is there anything I left out? No, I think that's it. I did see Salt yesterday in a rush. <laughs> you know, so I don't uh, I, I would I just say have it, anything it's Chuck Accord with, with quite a few littles. It's in, it's in everything. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like, oh, we have sea salt. So yeah. what? Yeah. Every, the guy down the street has sea salt, too. Like, you don't have anything so great that I have to go to your store because everything, pretty soon they're going to sell paintings with sea salt. You can, you can lick the frame. The sea salt will be on it. Enough sea salt. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here's a beginning that sounds like long, cool lady in a black dress, doesn't it? <laughs> it does By the it. Hollies, doesn't it? This is Tony Memel. Is that's, that how it's pronounced? That's right. 
And this is called We'll Be On The Radio. It's a fantastic It's song. really good. Yes. I, I just We've played it before. We have played it before. I downloaded this on iTunes. I've l- listened to it all the time. Tony's a fantastic musician. Where's um, he from? I can't remember because I had to purge all the emails. Oh, okay. the emails, so I can't remember exactly where he's from. But I think, I want to say the Carolinas, okay. I want to say. Tony Memo, We'll Be On The Radio. And he plays in Chuck Culpepper. And I just want to talk a little bit about Chuck Culpepper's work. His game story on Duke, North Carolina, was equal to the game. It was fantastic. That followed up a great preview story in which he said, one of these games is very loud and the other is in a whisper. And he was very smart in putting parentheses around what's in a whisper to diminish it even more. And he wrote a great game story today. So what I want to get to is this. One of the things I felt was that whoever won Duke or North Carolina, whoever won, and I thought Duke would win and I was wrong, whoever won wouldn't have that much left, wouldn't have a full 40 minutes left against Kansas. When you write a story that you know is great, you wrote a great game story, did you worry as a writer you wouldn't have the full 40 (laughs) minutes left for the championship game? (laughs) Yes, I worried. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been in this circumstance. I, I remember George Solomon laughed about this. I was very fortunate. I went to the Flutie game. Had my feet in the end zone when Flutie threw the ball to Gerard Phelan. Wrote like crazy. The next day, George called me up and he said, well, you got to write a follow column. I said, what are you, nuts? I just, I just wrote out of my mind. I just was witness to something that we've never seen before, and I gave you all, I got nothing. I said, no, no, you got to write a follow column. I said, I got nothing. And in fact, I had nothing. I mean, it wasn't very good. Okay, um, but you did a, you just it did a great job. We saw this earlier in the tournament, did we not, that North Carolina went out to a huge lead on a number one seed from the Big 12 conference, couldn't hold it, hold, held it in overtime, but couldn't hold it. Did you see history repeating itself on any level? I didn't think about that at that moment I, because I was thinking more about the Duke game and about mm-hmm. how, um, you know, at, right after the Duke game, everybody was thinking, well, Kansas is definitely winning this because there's going to be nothing left. I thought that. Same thing yep. that you said. Yeah, yeah. I thought... I thought Carolina had no chance against Duke, first of all. Me too. And then I thought Carolina had little chance against Kansas. And so when they barged out to that 38-22 lead, I just thought this team is something that can't be explained, that I, I don't understand, that, you know, they, if, they were, if they won the title, I looked up all the 82 other champions, they would have had the most, the high aggregate number amount of losses. Yeah, at, they would have had a hundred losses by 147 points total. No other team had more than 101. None of those champions. Like if you count up their losses, how much were they by? But they were getting thumped and routed in January and in December, and you know they lost four games by 20 points or more. So to have this all come together. And then to have a 16-point lead on Monday night, the closing Monday night, it just, I mean, they were incredible to that point. I just didn't understand it. Just to underline what Chuck is saying, South Carolina lost two games by a total of three points. 
They were the most right. dominating team in women's basketball all year long. Gino Oriema stood back and said, you blew our doors off twice. You know, you're the best. So Carolina had all of these losses by a lot of points. These were not one-point losses. They were getting killed. In a, in a down year in the ACC, they were getting killed on a regular basis. I will tell you that reading your story, the quote by Hubert Davis filled me with joy. Filled me with joy. The fact that Hubert Davis said, I could get, I'm not getting angry at this. Look how far we came. Look how, look what we did. Didn't you feel great hearing Hubert Davis say that? I actually felt the whole time like I was sorry that I wouldn't get to play for Hubert Davis in my lifetime. Yeah. It just was, it, it just was exemplary and a delight the whole way through. Now they lost to Kentucky by 29, Miami by 28, Duke by 20, Wake by 22. And then they were in this position. I just thought, you know, you could say they were the oddest national champion if they won it because of that. Or you could say maybe they were the most impressive because they solved it all on the fly and just continued to, to play. And then they hit this spot where they, I mean, they beat, you know, they, they beat a one seed Baylor along the way. They yep. beat UCLA was really good. Yep. And, and then, and then, and then the bracket asks them to play Duke again in the, in the national semifinal, which it had never done, you know, before. And is they thought on March 5th, they were done with Duke. Now you have to play him again. And then you win that. I, I just thought, I just thought they were really, really impressive. So I don't, I know that everyone will say, oh, Hubert Davis will get a lot of chances again. Well, I'm going to give you two words, no. Dan, Dan Marino. No. You don't know if he's going to get a lot of chances again. Dan Marino got one and he's the Hall of Fame quarterback and that's all he got. So I don't know if Hubert Davis will get any more. And I wonder how you think he feels right now because he came tantalizingly and agonizingly close to winning a championship in his first year as a head coach. And Carolina recruits, they're going to have a good squad. That doesn't mean he'll ever get back here. What do you think he's thinking today? No, I had that same feeling. I had that feeling of when you get that close, you better go ahead and get it. Look at Gonzaga. Got really close in the 2017 final against North Carolina. It was tied late. And, you know, they've gotten back to the title game. They didn't get close the second time in the title game. No, but chance. they're still fighting to get back to that point. I think there's some level, yeah, there where, where he's thinking because he knows, he knows what it's about. He knows how it works. I think he's there's some level where he's thinking, thinking, wow, we were that that close to it, and we. I think it's very hard on some level for him. You know, you know, you're talking about Dan Marino. Think about the Falcons. When they had that twenty-eight to three lead, oh, they blew the lead against the Patriots. Their their owner was dancing on the sidelines. What a dope! Yeah, they lost. And, and some people were saying, "Okay, well, what a you know what a strong team they'll get back." It's no. really, really so hard no, to get back. No, no. Let's talk about the coaches involved in this, other than self, because uh, I made the comment earlier that the ladder to great starts at three, not at two. There are a lot of great coaches have won one. A lot of great coaches have won two. But the coaches that separated themselves all won three or more, and there aren't that many of them. Mike has five. How do you think Mike Krzyzewski feels today? Do you think he's seething inside, or do you think he's at peace? I would say closer to seething. Me and too. I would say 
closer to crushed because not only to have a loss to Carolina in the national semifinal, but a lot of people have said this here in New Orleans in recent days that for Carolina, that win in Cameron on March 5th, and for Duke, the loss in Cameron on March 5th, might even be more long-lasting somehow than the, the final four game. And that's, that's a lot to say, but I, I kind of get it. I think, I think it just, that, that whole career of his, the 42 seasons at Duke, and that, seriously, it ends like that. You know, it's just, that, that's a lot to take, I think. And, you know, I, I suspect that at some point it'll smooth out, but I just think that's a lot to take, especially the way that Duke-Carolina game played out, how, you know, you get a ties at 65 and 67. It's down to the last three minutes. And, you know, if you play that thing again 10 times, you're going to win at probably five of them. And so, so I just think that's really hard to take. I agree with that. Mike got taken out in the last two games by Carolina. The games that mattered most, he got taken out. I know he's got five. I know he's a great coach. I love him personally, but I think he's seething inside. I think he'll never say that, but I, I personally believe he's seething inside. Let's go to Roy Williams. Roy Williams has ties to both these schools. He coached Kansas, not for a minute and a half now. He coached Kansas for 10, 12 years. Coached North Carolina 15, 16 years. Won his championships at North Carolina. Could have won. At Kansas, you know, um, he's got ties at both schools. And he looks at his North Carolina team under the direction of someone else. His guy, Hubert Davis, but under the direction of someone else. How do you think he's feeling right now? Think of how tangled that, that Carolina-Kansas game was. I mean, Hubert Davis said on Sunday that he had spent years where every year he would go back and watch the Carolina-Kansas national semifinal of 91 in which yes. he played. Haunted him. And yes. Haunted him, and he would hope maybe it would... He, he, this was a great sort of study of human nature, how when he would watch it, he would kind of hope it would end differently <laughs> each time, because <laughs> Kansas won. And, um, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about in that game, he lost, Hubert Davis, and the winning coach was, was Roy Williams. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about a game where Roy Williams, then the coach at Kansas, then became his boss at North Carolina, and now was going to sit in the stands, you know, and watch North Carolina against Kansas. I don't know how Roy Williams feels. It's baffling to me. I mean, it's, there's so much there. I think it probably um, had to be I, – I, I think Roy Williams was so, as he said, fatigued with the whole thing that – I actually think he might have been sort of fine with everything. Well, he always wears Carolina blue because he's born and raised in Carolina. And that was, you know, the reason you leave Kansas. Because nobody leaves Kansas. It's a great job. You don't leave Kansas. You leave Kansas because North Carolina is open. Everybody's got one of those. Gary Williams had a great job at Ohio State. He had Jimmy Jackson, who was going to be a first-team All-American player. And why did he leave? Because his school called. Maryland called. And so the nice thing is that he got a championship out of that down the road. Roy Williams got championships at North Carolina. But I'm thinking, Chuck, part of him is thinking, 
I shouldn't have quit. I could have been in this one. I could have gotten number four. I know how to do this. No, I just wondered if you thought there was anything to that, a little bit of jealousy. Oh, for sure. That, that, that went through my mind because I think that's how they're, these guys are constructed. You yeah. know, I think, I think, I think that's hard. I think in a way it was hard for him. I just think he still has feelings for Kansas. That was a long time there too. Yes. And, and that, that 97 team that was so great and lost in the sweet 16. And then there's a final four in Oh two and there's a loss to Maryland. And there's a final four in Oh three lost to Syracuse at the end. And there's a lot of feelings there too. And so, I think that probably gets tangled up with the feelings of, you know, I left one year ago and here's, here's my successor yeah. going all the way to the final. Yeah. 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 Worthy That's champion, Kansas. Don't you think worthy? Cha- I mean, you know, a worthy team. We got a worthy champion. Yes. Yes. Survived that game and, and so spent the whole tournament as a one seed that nobody was talking about because of Krzyzewski and because mm-hmm. of St. Peter's and, and so on. And, um, and, you know, one thing that's funny about it is look up the list of records of Self's, Bill Self's Kansas teams, the 19 teams he's had, and there's 33 and threes and 33 and fives. And I think there's five times they've gone to the Elite Eight and stopped there, and that's the hardest place to stop, I think. And if you look at, you know, sort of the list of the records of all those teams, you figure, you start to figure, Maybe this isn't the best one, but if you sort of get on the roulette wheel enough times, you know, you, you, you get another one. And I think that's kind of how it happens because, and, and we're all mad for, for following this and evaluating this the way we do. But, but that's kind of how it happens because it comes down to just a few plays all the time. And, and, and there it was again last night. So the example of that is Mike Krzyzewski's last championship against yes. Wisconsin. Wisconsin was better. Wisconsin played a game against Kentucky prior to the game against Duke that was one of the five best college games ever played. It was just tremendous. And then they scored like 30 points less, right, the next game against Duke. And Duke came in with a nice team, but not a team like the Zion team, right? Not right. anything like that. And, and so these things happen. I'll get you out of here on this. Most important, you're going to the Masters. Is Tiger going to play? Everybody asks me. I'm asking you. Is Tiger going to play? <laughs> am I going to the Masters? I oh, thought so. I, yeah. Oh yeah, I am. So it's. <laughs> I don't know who's in that thing. I need to sort of read up on it. I think. Um, I would say that if there's any way possible, yes. I I saw him play in the father son thing in uh, December. So. I remember thinking at that time, sure, it's possible he'll play. So I'll guess yes. The thing about it is, what, what none of us really knows, but what you can be 100% sure of is that if he hasn't dropped out by now, he wants to play, right, Chuck? Oh, he yes. wants oh, to yes. play. And he'll probably oh, sure. err on the side of playing if it's a coin flip, I would think. Weather may have something to do with it. I understand that. Draw may have something to do with it. Limited field size. Yeah, but he wants to play, Chuck, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. That's, that's and what I think. It's something that, that that will 
that he has that we all watched for so many, have watched for so many years. But that comes into play given the circumstances they're going to be involved in this. And that's a, a mighty will, as we all know, and, but this is possibly the uh, biggest testament to that mighty will that he's going to maybe even play this thing. It's, it's kind of nuts, but, but in the way that we've come to expect. Thank you, Chuck. You did a great job writing. It's just been a great pleasure to read. Enjoy the Masters. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you. We'll get out of here. Richard Justice will preview some baseball when we come back. just want to say a better a mighty will than a mighty wind, as we like to say <laughs> for those who watch movies. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser this is hot pink hangover i'm so sorry they broke up i know i love everything they sent us <laughs> it's just fantastic everything they sent us is great yeah winchester virginia band right no I think, no i, I want to say minnesota oh, okay i think why they, did i think all these years it was winchester virginia i could i could be wrong hot pink I hangover I, could, I think it's minnesota get back together yes get Re- back together the reunion they play tour. In richard justice um, we're going to do a baseball preview. Let's start with this, Richie. Here are three great pitchers. Lance Lynn is on the verge of greatness. He's not a great pitcher necessarily. Right. Max Scherz is a great pitcher. Jacob deGrom is a great pitcher. They got this in common. Their arms hurt. <laughs> okay, their arms hurt. Is this about the lack of a full measured spring training or is it something else? I put them in separate categories. Lance Lynn and Jacob deGrom are max effort guys. And so I think sometimes injury is inevitable with guys like that. They go 100 miles an hour. That's the new game now. I don't, I don't want you to think about going six or seven or eight innings. I want you to think about going as hard as you can for as long as you can. And if that's two innings or three innings, now obviously Lance Lynn is a complete bulldog. And DeGrom had one of the greatest second halves in history yes. last year. I mean, he's the, the gold standard right now. I mean, they know what they're doing. But, a, but the max effort, I think, is going to lead to injuries. In the case of, Ma, in the case of Max Scherzer, um, he knows himself better than anybody. And I think he's just being cautious. The guy's made, what, 400 starts, and he's making $43 million. When he's ready to go, he will tell people he's ready to go. And I think with a guy like that, you just have to take him at his word. It's a fabulous small statistic here, courtesy of John Heyman yesterday, as Oakland dumps salary. The Oakland, in 1991, Richard, you'll appreciate this, in 1991, yeah. the Oakland A's with the Bash brothers and Ricky Henderson and others had the highest payroll in the games, $33 million. The payroll today, 31 years later, is $33 million. Max Scherzer by himself makes $10 million more than the Oakland A's. It's, you know, it's it's wild. In 88, I think it was, or 89, the A's had a payroll of $6 million. And it was a a respectable payroll. And Sandy Alderson, now the president of baseball operations of the Mets, I remember him telling me at the winter meetings, the whole world has gone to hell. 
our payroll is going to triple. It's going to go from six million to nineteen million. The world is ending, and now, but but you know, franchise values have gone up, revenues have gone up. There were owners that said, if I ever get to a hundred million in revenues, I will be on easy street. Now, hundred million doesn't even get you in. Doesn't even get you a ticket. So Sean Manaya went the other day. Yep. From Oakland, Oakland's dumping salaries to San Diego. Right. Oakland's payroll is thirty-three million. San Diego's is two hundred thirty-one million. Two hundred thirty-one right. million. So this leads to a question that I'm sure the I'm sure this was part of the players' position. Absolutely. There are teams that aren't trying. I mean, they're right. really good with what they've got. They exceed almost everybody else, but they can't go the distance. How to play it when you look at the Oakland payroll? What does it mean? And it's not even thirty-three million. I think there's some dead money in there. I think their active payroll is twenty-four million. In other words, nothing. Look at the Orioles, the A's, the Pirates, Cleveland. Are they even trying? I mean, that, that, that's four teams. Their payroll is under fifty million dollars. Now, Oakland does this periodically. They just say we're going to start over. I think. Billy Bean takes some weird pride in this. You know, I look at the A's ownership. I, I think about all baseball owners in the 80s. Like, they were competitive people. But now I think with the analytics in the game, with the Wall Street influence, they take a long view of everything. And if we have to lose every game this year, we really don't care. In the case of the A's, I think they look at it, we're a – what is ownership of the A's? It's a media rights deal. It's a real estate deal. If we ever get the new ballpark uh, in downtown Oakland, we'll sell the pay. We'll sell the team for two and a half billion and clear a couple of billion dollars. I think that's the way they look at it. But what are you telling your fans? I think about this with the Nationals. Yes. If you own the Nationals, do you look around and say, "Hmm, Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper"? If we had kept all those guys, our payroll would be very, very high. But what would we have gotten in return in terms of ticket sales, sponsorships, credibility? I mean, sometimes payroll is an investment in the future. And these teams just look at it in the short term and say, no, we're we're not going to do it. I mean, the Mets were like that until Steve Cohen came in and said, we're going to spin, spin, spin. And how excited are Mets fans now? Their payroll is higher than the Yankees. I will say this. I know that the players, for whatever their reasons, resist a salary cap. Right. But a salary cap gives you a floor. You got to spend this much. It gives you a floor. There's no floor now, right, Richard? You, you don't have to spend anything. That's right. And I do think one with the, the playoff, expanding the 12 teams in the playoffs, more teams did spend money in the offseason, I mm-hmm. think. Ten teams gave a $100 million contract or something like that. Uh, there was some incentive, like the Rockies spent on Chris Bryant. And the teams, a lot of teams that didn't spend, like the Brewers and the Astros, well, they're going to be in the playoffs most likely anyway. But you're right. The incentive was not enough to make Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Oakland, Baltimore. And you look at some of those teams, you look at Baltimore and goes, are you even trying? You know, you've been rebuilding here for, what, X number of years you're offering your fans no hope. Your st- the stands are going to be empty. Pittsburgh has the most beautiful ballpark in baseball, and it's gonna, there's no reason to go. And I don't know how, if you're running a business, 
how you can look at it and say, yeah, we're doing the right thing. Because as we saw in Baltimore, as we've seen in other places, seen in Houston, when fans go away, they may not come back. They find they can live without it. Attendance in Houston's great, but it's never gotten back to three million where it was before um, the the rebuild. Do you think that are we going to look at bad baseball for a month or so and a lot of injuries for a month or so because of the shortened spring training, or are they just yeah. going to jump in and be okay? I think it's an unknown factor. I think like the managers, like Joe Madden, have made a big point of saying, "I'm going to." Re-, Buck Showalter has said it with the Mets. I'm going to rest guys. I'm going to beg my guys, be honest with me about how you are feeling. We're going to have to be very cautious. But, you know, obviously where it's going to come up probably is in in the pitching. And you just have to hope, guys, like when it hurts, you have to tell us. But the risk of injury, as we saw in in, 20, in, the, in the pandemic season of 2020, the risk of injury is going to be higher and guys are going to get hurt and it's probably going to decide a lot of playoff races. By the way, I mentioned Manaya going to San Diego. Their top four starters are Hugh Darvish and Musgrove. That's a Cy Young winner, a no-hit guy, Blake Snell, a Cy Young guy, and Manaya. And they get Clevenger at some point. He's crazy, but he's an effective pitcher. That's an incredible starting staff. If the Dodgers had that staff, they wouldn't lose any games at all, right? Yeah, that's right. And you're always told, hey, you can't trade for quality pitching. Well, they traded for all those guys, Blake Snell, Clevenger, Manaya. Hmm. You Darvish, uh, Joe Musgrove, uh, m- yeah. maybe Darvish might have been a, a free agent signing, but they did trade for pitching. But they have a general manager who's AJ Preller, who's very aggressive and doesn't take no for an answer, and he, he subscribes to the old Earl Weaver theory. If we get the guy we want, I don't care what we give up. If we get the guy we want, and we end up where we want think we are going to be in October, no one's going to remember that we gave up three prospects and all the. Orioles were hot to get Ricky Henderson once. He's, other than Bonds, he's the best player. Bonds and Trout, maybe. He's the best player I've ever seen. And they wanted the, the Orioles' top two pitching prospects. And the Orioles laughed at them. You couldn't even name the, those top two pitching prospects. You could have gotten a Hall of Fame player that would have transformed your whole team. You're like, just do it. You know, Dave Dombrowski in Philadelphia just believes trade prospects. They're just prospects. He's told me, like, I traded this guy. I couldn't sleep for three nights because I traded this guy and never heard from him again. That's it. Get the proven guy. Win now. Los Angeles Rams, kids. Los Angeles (laughs) Rams. It worked. Yes. Yes. Los Angeles Rams. Speaking of Los Angeles, I assume you have the Dodgers in the World Series. Who do they play in the World Series? (laughs) They're going to play the Toronto Blue Jays in the World Series. uh, Really? Oh. The Toronto Blue Jays have done it the right way, right way with their team president, um, uh, Mark Shapiro. When he got there, he said, we, "We're a top ten market in the in the country in 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 the in the game. We should have a top ten payroll." They've had a great offseason. They go out and get Kevin Gosman to to shore up the rotation. You know, they get Matt Chapman. I don't know how much you've seen of Matt Chapman. Maybe in the East, you'll see more of him. He's the best defensive third baseman you will ever see. And now you have that in really. With- like Black he's Guerrero in the Brooks Jr. Robinson? Is, is he in the Brooks Robinson class of defensive yeah. third baseman? Wow. He plays third base in a way that will take your breath away. And you go, wow. did I just see that? You know, when they had the Oakland, the, the latest rebuild of Oakland happened when they brought up the two mats. Matt Olson at thir- first, Matt Chapman at third. They're both gone now. But 
Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at first base for the Blue Jays is uh, the favorite to be the American League MVP. But that infield of Guerrero and Kevin Beggio and Matt Chapman and Bo Bichette, this is the way you do it. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in the outfield. This is how you do it. You get a bu- you have a great, great, great farm system, and then you spin around the edges to complete the work, and that's what they've done. I mean, look, the Yankees are good. The Yankees are catching all kinds of heck in New York for not signing Carlos Correa, but they're good. The Red Sox are good, too. The Rays are always good. Um, but I think it's Toronto's time. Wow. Thank you, Richard. Talk soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Richard Justice, boys and girls. I didn't see that coming, Toronto. That's cool. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Oh, he's back in town. He's back on the mound. You know he'll let us down. But that Brilliant. <laughs> I thought he was gone. Joe Arrow's brilliant. He's old and his best years are far behind him. But still we sign him. <laughs> I thought we moved on. Just get out of town. And that's This song is great. <laughs> Joey, the, Joey the Jammer, Joe Arrow, is an Orioles fan. Yes. And he did this anyway. Just, this is just great. You can hear John Lennon doing this <laughs> when Joe Arrow does it. Don't let me down, of course, the Beatles. This yes. is just great on the Beltway Mitterrand. Yes. Sean Doolittle, seriously, get out. <laughs> Love to. Get out. Should I tell you that? Tyler Clippert has been banging around the oh, clubhouse the last couple weeks. Clippert. Oh. <laughs> Nothing but goggles. Uh, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel? Then? Bethesda Bagels. <coughs> Excuse me. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, duck down the alley with some roly-poly little bat face girl. bat face girl. <laughs> Of all the lyrics Paul Simon has ever written, Batface Girl is up there. All along, along, there were incidents and accidents. There were hints and allegations. If you'll be my bodyguard, I can be your long-lost lost pal. I can call you Betty. And Betty, when you call me, you can call me Al. We talk about brilliant. Paul Simon. Come <laughs> pretty, on. Pretty good. Thanks to our guests today, Chuck Culpepper, Richard Justice. Thanks to our sponsors today, Solo Stove, X-Chair, Trade Coffee. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us... A review. Let's All say right. TK Cheese together. You can celebrate your national champions by getting some Johnny O gear. Ooh, yes. Uh, or nice. if you're interested in sampling the pimento cheese, celebrate with TK Cheese at uh, johnnyo.com. Yes. The, John is himself probably at the Masters at some point. He's a really so. good golfer, I yeah. would think. Wouldn't you think? John O'Donnell. Um, Aaron Hansen, now of Papillon, Nebraska. Sad, similar to a million. Um, 
I don't short A. Short A. Oh. oh. Papillion? Papillion, then. Papillion. Okay. With the new anecdotes of theft, my theft links in the small town I am from, in Nebraska, when you enter the town limits, you are met with a sign of the town name that also shows the population. My hometown was Ruskin, population 187. That sign is now hanging from a wall in my basement after tearing it down at about 2 a.m. one Easter morning 20-plus years ago. But there is absolutely no one of notoriety from Ruskin, Nebraska, and I believe the population is now 123. From Richard Bahena in Monterey, Mexico. Circa 1976, my brother and sister, five and three at the time, were in Acapulco, our hometown. We were exiting a Woolworth store. My mother noticed that my sister was carrying a doll that she shoplifted. We all stopped and she began lecturing her. My brother proceeded to examine the doll and ran into the store with it. Few minutes went by and he returned with a set of batteries for the dolls. So their mission was accomplished. Not for my mother who returned the doll and the batteries to the store, but they have not paid for their offense. P.S. Please send Raid, Michael. We are on a one-year drought. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. From Jeff Burant in Madison. I assume Madison, Wisconsin. Recently, you read an email from Chris from Chippewa Falls, where he announced his daughter's appointment to an internship program in Washington. This provided me with a great opportunity. You see, his daughter is currently a student worker in my office at the University of Wisconsin system on the Madison campus. You are welcome, Chris. I walked up to her after I heard the email and offered my congratulations on getting into the program in front of a group of co-workers. She turned a brilliant shade of red and replied, where did you hear about this? To which I answered a podcast. She replied, oh God, that stupid Tony show? Reportedly, the ensuing text to her dad was, what did you do? Yet another child embarrassed by their dad on your show. Congratulations on another example of the connective tissue. If you do read this on the air, please add, eat it, Kreitlow, eat it, Rushman, and eat it, Mel. Thank you, and please send Edith Saliza my regards. Uh, everybody's doing that now. From Sean in Stockholm, and he writes where they celebrate Louise Gluck. He says, I think it's pretty obvious the real Bill Isaacson is, in fact, DG. And P.S., tell Edith Saliza but she's mm -hmm. a rape. From Brandon Costello, we're doing elementary school now. There are only three boys in my first grade class. Josh Ravencraft, future Major League hurler Brandon Webb, and me. Baseball's great, but Josh Ravencraft had the G.I. Joe USS flag, a seven-foot toy aircraft carrier playset that took up an entire room of his house. It should be in the Toy Hall of Fame, but they'd have to kick out hay or cinder blocks. <laughs> from Allen in Falmouth in Massachusetts. Right, yeah, McCabe. Not far enough, he writes, from Revere. <laughs> the cottage cheese expired on January 20th. That's the woman to whom I'm related through marriage's birthday. Connective tissue, finally. <laughs> From Paul Armstrong. As a little, I enjoyed the game of famous people from small towns, and in that vein, I was having a similar discussion. Some college buddies of mine were discussing famous alumni from our school. Hofstra. Hofstra, which I know well, used to be the Flying Dutchman, should still be the Flying Dutchman, not the Pride. In the heart of your beloved Long Island, indeed, it was fun. We had listed Francis Ford Coppola, Carol Alt, the amazing Christopher Walken, sports stars Wayne Krebet, Speedy Claxton, and Marcus Colston. Then my wife, a fellow little, comes in and smacks the table and says, Frostburg State, Greg Garcia, <laughs> genius producer and bracketologist. That's it. That's the list. Eat it, Saliza, done. <laughs> You know who else went to Hofstra? The great sports writer George Vesey went to Hofstra. Really? Yes, he's a Hofstra Didn't grad. From Chris Jordan, after a decade plus of listening to your show dating back to the 980 days, I finally had my David Aldridge moment. 
not including all the times you have gone on about weather in D.C., and I've thought, hey, I know that weather. I was listening to last Tuesday's show and finally had my moment with the very last famous people from my town email. Under the wire came in Evil Knievel from Butte, Montana. I had to play it back and yell to the woman to whom I'm related by marriage. I'm originally from Northern Virginia, but moved to Butte three years ago to manage a couple of KOA campgrounds. Campgrounds. My business partner, Eat It Joe, and myself are both loyal little. So let me take this chance to invite the TK crew to come and visit our new KOA campgrounds located in Gaylord, Michigan. Gaylord is known as the golf mecca. Is this true, Michael? Do you know I don't Gaylord? Know. And has 17 outstanding golf courses, which should impress everyone other than Wilbon. We have RV sites and cabins available at our park. So have Nigel go out and hook up the next trailer that shows up on your street. <laughs> or we can put you up in one of our cabins. They may not be as luxurious as the places you're accustomed to staying in, but we will ensure there are no bananas, watermelons, pumpkins, or squirrel present. Additionally, we will have a bowl of Albany's gummy bears and a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue waiting for you. Isn't that nice? Look up Gaylord, Michigan. See what they got there. Is that it? Did I have that right? Gaylord? Yeah, Gaylord, Michigan. Um, From Max Wedberg, or Redberg, W-R-E-D-B-E-R-G. I've been a fan of the show for a while and was listening to your podcast during school when my English teacher assigned us a project in which we had to research and write about a former newspaper columnist, and I decided to choose you. I went back and read through your series entitled The Bandwagon, detailing the 1991 Super Bowl run by the former Washington Redskins. I was very intrigued with your writing style and the way you showcased it. I love the show and will keep on listening. That's lovely. Isn't that great? He's a high school student. That's lovely. From Eric Beinigan, does Subaru make a hearse? It would be a great spite vehicle for people who say I wouldn't be caught dead in a Subaru. And from Timmy Safera in Fort Mill, South Carolina, I need a guidebook from you. This past weekend, I made my first pilgrimage to chat no kidding, to Pinehurst. It was incredible. Even my cynical taste was in awe of everything, from the creaky floors and old carpet to the layout of the putting greens next to the cradle and folks in rocking chairs celebrating golfers finishing up on number two. But after soaking it all in, I couldn't recall the places you often mention. So it made me think we need a book, a big guidebook for littles. You never know, we may need a recommendation for a breakfast spot in Rehoboth one day, or which Beatles song we should listen to on the way to work. Thanks for the shows. Been the toughest two years of my life. Appreciate the familiarity you, Nigel, and Michael have given us. Constants are needed in times of uncertainty. Happy to help. Next time you go to Pinehurst, if you go to Pinehurst, you've got to find the, the man, Alex. Alex Podligar. He's Alex is so happy now. Alex is so happy now. He went to North Carolina. Oh, sure. So to get to the finals, he never expected to get to the finals. He wrote me a note the other day. It said simply this. Hey, Chop, is Tiger going to play? <laughs> You're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Hola, nosotros somos Pineapple Landscaping y escuchamos el show de Tony Kornheiser. Pero este show apesta.
piece of bad nostalgia. I'm not ashamed, but I thought that I should warn you. I memorized every song on my cassette Still blessed in my car every time I'm on a first day. Flirtation, doing what I want, baby, it's all good. Take me back and scary. 